All right, Crime and Justice Radio, every Monday night, 6 to 7. It is stellar. Uh, one of my favorites, and uh, certainly Bruce and I, to do some job. They are the main components from Barkhead Epstein. Mr. Bruce Barkhead and Ms. Idol Eisenring join us for a couple of minutes. The preview and some other things. Good to have you both. How are you? We're doing well. Thanks for having us. Excellent, Jay. Thanks for having us. How's it going? Bruce, you enjoy the Super Bowl? Um, well, I hated being right. My son is a big Eagles fan. I despised the way the game ended. I thought that was a terrible call, one of the worst I've ever seen. Uh, but I did say I thought the Chiefs could win because I didn't think the Philadelphia defense would be able to hold them down. And indeed, the second half, that's exactly what happened. My son is still upset about it. <laughs> Form idolizing ring. Can a referee make a call of that nature that late in the game? You know the irony of it all. Not one holding call <laughs> throughout the game. All of a sudden, the the flag is. Oh my goodness! I mean, how do you how do you look at? I said the the very next day. How do you look at, look at yourself in the mirror, knowing you you were responsible for the outcome of that game? I mean, you can't you can't do that unless it is blatant beyond belief you cannot do that and i know i you were you were uh, on the eagles bandwagon and everything else and that pretty much put the pin in the balloon oh i i am definitely on the bandwagon i was born and raised an eagles fan a flyers fan a phillies fan um and my whole family was on a thread quite disappointed but my dad was the rational one in the group, and he said, listen, we won a Super Bowl, we played a great game, and our quarterback critically did well and didn't make any mistakes. So, here's to the next. Tough loss, no question about it. They'll be back next year. Might be a few players shy as far as the uh, familiarities are concerned, but uh, nonetheless, uh, they've had a heck of a season. All right, let's get into a couple of things before we preview tonight. Uh, Bruce, and Ada. Bruce, I'll tell you this Murdoch case, more twists and turns. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, it is unbelievable what we have seen over the last uh, couple of weeks as far as how Alex Murdoch pretty much, you know, went about his business and everything else. My, I mean, I mean, this is a case. Have you ever seen more twists and turns, including an evacuation of a courthouse? Uh, my goodness. I mean, this thing has had Everything, alibis unraveling, uh, video showing, you know, Murdoch next to the bodies of the wife and son, pointing blame elsewhere. I mean, there, there isn't one component here that, that you haven't said to yourself, wow, what in the heck could happen next? I mean, this has been amazing yeah, yeah. the last few. It's been a stunning trial. It really has been. It's been fun to watch, even from this distance. Um, there was a... Uh, I'm just going to read a little paragraph here from uh, the Washington Post, the commentator on the trial. The defense attorney, Jim Griffin, then conducted a cross-examination. Joe McClockluck, who is the lead investigator, another trial, oh no, excuse me, another trial attorney, Dick, uh, that it was, po he described it as poetic. In point after point, Griffin dismantled the investigation and eviscerated poor Owen, who was the lead investigator who once released from the witness stand, fled the courtroom red-faced and upset. That's how the trial has been going back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. 
before that, you heard from the medical examiner describing the the gunshots uh, having been inflicted or fired from only a few feet away and that the perpetrator would have been covered in the blood and other biological material of two victims. And the victims here, we have to remember, are his wife and his son. Last night on CNN, they had a uh, an hour-long episode on the uh, boat crash where Paul was driving, Paul, the son who was murdered, was driving a boat and ended up killing somebody and injuring other people. And that boat crash figured prominently in this trial, one, because Paul was obviously a victim, and two, uh, because the money that was supposed to go on the victim's family from the boat crash actually allegedly went to uh, the defendant. And three, the defendant pointed blame to the victims of the boat crash for having killed his son and wife. Unbelievable. And if anything, Aida, of what we have seen over the last three weeks or so, you know, it's interesting uh, where Murdoch's son, who was killed, Paul, uh, caused him no end of trouble when he was alive, may actually help convict this guy of double murder when you think about it. I mean, Murdoch himself, you know, he has appeared much less sure of himself than he did when he was all smug smiles as this trial began uh, towards the end of January. I mean, it has been unbelievable as far as the demeanor of what we have seen from Alex Murdoch over the last couple of weeks, you know? Well, certainly demeanor is something that everybody focuses on, especially when it comes to a circumstantial case. And although the defense has done a spectacular job, you know, just based on what Bruce read, how they dismantled the entire uh, investigation and ultimately called it reckless and sloppy. Um, And despite the fact that there's no fingerprints tying him to the scene, footprints it ended up that a bloody footprint belonged to an officer that was doing the crime scene investigation there's no tire marks consistent with murdoch committing the crime um they haven't really identified the actual murder weapon uh alleged blood spatter that was on his t-shirt was actually not human blood the gunshot residue level found on one item was consistent with retrieving the family gun for defense upon seeing his family murdered, and the fact that they didn't investigate any other leads with a family that's so high-profile with a father who was uh, dealing with some major drug dealers and so forth. Despite that, you have a 60-witness circumstantial case, which means death by a thousand cuts. And it's going to be exceptionally difficult for the defense to overcome that and the jury's been sitting there the whole time watching each and every one of these cuts. And people make light of circumstantial cases, but as our partner, Donna Aldea, who was at the Queen's DA's office for many years, said, and I actually agree with this, they tend to be more powerful because every piece of the puzzle comes in, even if it seems somewhat irrelevant, and it always tends to be prejudicial. Yeah, I mean it's it's really it's it's just fascinating the way this case is kind of ending, Bruce. Uh, it really is, and 
you know, the thing that really is implanted is the execution style, especially with a, with a wife. And I hate to be graphic here, folks, but shot multiple times with an AR-style rifle, Bruce, and received a single execution-style shot to the back of her head while face down on the ground. I mean, what are you supposed to surmise here except that of pure, uh, I don't even know the word, pure hatred, maybe? Uh, you know, a vendetta of some kind that somebody had? You know, I mean, that to me kind of stands out as far as how the prosecution accentuates something of that nature uh-huh. to the jury. Yeah, I, I don't know. I look. I, I've I've seen more murder scenes than I I care to read, and none of them are pleasant. Uh, to kill a human being violently involves a massive amount of violence and blood and gore. To be blunt, so there's no murder scene I've ever looked at where oh look nice and clean and neat and orderly. It just doesn't happen that way. Um, so this happens frequently with family members charged with killing family members, you know, the lay person will say, oh, it must have been somebody who really despised this person to do that to them. Well, no, it must have been somebody who intended to kill them to do it. And we don't know who that person is, and the amount of violence inflicted on the human being doesn't tell us anything about who it was. Um, I, I, but Aida is correct here, uh, 100% correct, that Circumstantial cases like this are very, very difficult to defend and very powerful for the prosecution because the the thousand cuts, even if it ends up only being 800, it's still death. It's still death for the defendant. He still gets convicted. Uh, Even if the defense can beat back some of the evidence. And there's so many small pieces that it becomes impossible to argue that they're all planted or that all of these people are lying or all these things are coincidences. Uh, and exorably, it leads to one conclusion, which is the defendant did it. Now, whether or not the prosecution here has a case that powerful, we have to wait and see. Uh, but these circumstantial evidence cases are exactly what they said, very, very tough to defend and very powerful for the prosecution, typically. Bruce and Aida with the Crime and Justice Radio. Aida, preview us tonight. What do we got at 6 o'clock here? You know, it, it may be a best of. Not, um, not, <laughs> not maybe. It's going to be. This, the best, one of the great things about the best of is the audience doesn't have to wonder whether or not it's going to be a good show. We already know it's the best <laughs> of. So it's going to be a great show tonight. It's President's Day. I hope everybody enjoys it. And right around dinner time. Feel free to tune in, and you'll hear a great show from Crime and Justice Radio from one of the, I think we're up to close to 85 now shows, which is a staggering amount, uh, given that I feel like I just started doing this yesterday. Well, listen, you know, to be fair here, best of really doesn't apply to you because everybody knows each and every week it is the best of as far as what you guys do on a normal basis. So whether it be on tape or live, it doesn't matter. Is that fair to say? I love this. I love the thought process. Thank you. So, do we, so what? What is the what is the show tonight? If people miss it, whatever they want to tune in again, what what will it focus on tonight? Are you? 
Ari and I are going to meet a little bit later today, and we're going to pick the show. So you have to tune in to see. <laughs> it's uh, a real uh, mystery. <laughs> I, no, I'll tell you. I'll tell you what I think. I think that I, I'm thinking of one of our three earlier shows, um, and Aida, uh, our three best, which are the the woman, the guy from Florida, or the national correspondent. You pick. All right, I like it. You know, listen. You know, you know what one of my favorites has been from way back. I go the the interview you guys did with that warden. Uh, that was absolutely captivating. You know, penalty, and then he kind of turned the other side of things as far as you know how he felt about what was going on there, and actually consoled individuals. You know who were going up for that process. That was a as riveting an interview as I've ever heard, i got to tell you. Oh, you know Jake, I, subject to Aida's veto, you just picked the show for tonight. So, well, people who haven't heard this, it was an executioner uh, who supervised and oversaw executions in Florida and Texas, who later became an abolitionist, ab- moving or fighting to abolish the death penalty. And you're right, his description of the death penalty and what took place and how it took place was absolutely riveting. And one of my favorites, no question. Tune in tonight. The mystery continues. Bruce and Aida, as far as Barkhead Epstein, and, uh, of course, the great uh, show that you hear every Monday night on 103.9 LA News Radio, Crime and Justice Radio. We await. Have a wonderful rest of your day.